0: Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it.
1: 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all.
0: We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous
1: yet? Before we begin this episode, just a little note to say there were some audio problems with this i did the best i could fixing it up the content is still good but you know sometimes things uh work out that way mercury was in retrograde or something i'm sure anyway enjoy hi how you doing babes hey how you doing babes i'm <laughs> pretty good pretty good I, I showed up late you did
0: <sighs> okay i have these neighbors did you have I'm a term paper with? due? No. Oh my God. No, that gives me flashbacks. Um, No, no. I have these neighbors, right? I adore them. Okay. They are young, you know, mid, late twenties in a band that I adore and they're trying to get me to be their manager. I don't think that's a great idea just because I don't know how to manage bands and I am trying to work on my own career, but, but, I did give them some feedback, like about how to go about their, they're the great band, great kids, you know, kids, 20, 27. Yeah. But still mm-hmm. kids to me. And, um, anyway, we stayed on We've, we have balconies next to each other. So we just sat out there talking while miles, miles was as long asleep at like seven, but I, I, I stayed up until nine. So that's late for me. <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh! I thought all this was building up to like you stayed up till three in the morning. You got two hours of sleep. Seven p.m. Miles goes to bed at seven p.m. Well, he gets up at
0: four, so um, he goes to bed. No, I shouldn't say. Last night he did go to bed a little earlier, but usually it's about eight thirty. Eight eight thirty. It's really quite. Does he get
1: up at four because like that's his natural body? Yeah, he likes to
0: do that. He does his burpees. He's Mister kind of healthy he does all yeah. his workout stuff and i'm just jealous that's the reason you didn't see it but i did like a dismissive <laughs> hand gesture it's only because i'm jealous that's the only reason <laughs> so so he so anyway Maybe
1: his people were farmers that's i mean that's what they say like people who are night owls probably have ancestors who were on the night watch you know caveman style and people who <laughs> Oh, what's it's that?
0: Just a mosquito. She
1: fly, and people who are early risers were. I mean, oh. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but that's what I've heard. Oh, I like that. Then na- I
0: like that. That means my dad was on the night watch, and uh or just very depressed and couldn't go to sleep. But or oh, I, I'm going to choose the night watch. It has a better ring to it. Hey, let me run this by you.
1: Feeling that today. Okay, I recently called to tell you about a, a experience I had with a with a friend of mine who I felt like didn't like something I had suggested to them and wasn't responding to my right. text message. And it's I wasn't uh, freaked out about it. That's a step forward, and oh. I wasn't even very worried about it. But I, I thought, okay, well, I suggested something to this person. They didn't write me back my assumption was that they thought it was a terrible idea and didn't want to have any part of it. And I was completely wrong because I had another conversation with this person yesterday and like, and of course, the reason they didn't write me back was completely I had logical. Right. And this is just a lesson that I can't seem to grasp that. Like my first inclination is mm-hmm. always to say they're mad at me. Mm-hmm. I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. They don't like me. Sure. How do I get out of that? Do I, I don't know. Out of it? It's the same. So I think
0: I have the exact same thing. Mine goes mine. It's my first instinct. And I think it's practice of look, actually, what I think it is, is If you go to that first thing first, which you probably, I probably will, and you probably will the rest of your life. It's just, just part of the DNA. All right. But the process of working through it, right? And getting to the point of being like acceptance of, okay, so if they are mad, okay, so if they are, they hate my guts, okay, what then? What am I going to, how am I going to take care of myself if this person is upset or doesn't want to be my friend or whatever? I think that's the real um win of the thing is working through, working with ourselves through that process is the process versus,
2: Mm -hmm. oh, you know uh what
0: I'm saying? Like, I think that's the reason it comes up is to, to be worked through and not necessarily that the first instinct will go away because I don't think it will. I just think that's the way we're wired. At, At least I know that's the way I'm wired. And I think I, it's practice of working through so that it becomes less of a whole situation um and more of a, oh yeah, I did that thing again. Okay. Well, how can I work with myself? Okay. So let me
1: talk it through with somebody. Let me, but I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The journey in that, and I have, I guess now that we're talking about, it, I guess I have come somewhat of a way. I mean, it, cause it used to just be that I would immediately respond to that person and say like, I'm sorry, I oh. take it back. <laughs> you oh. know? Or, or like, I know that, I know you hate me now. I I I just start
0: crying profusely, get on the phone and say, I'm sorry. I'm so terrible. um, And please forgive me. Yeah. Like you said, it it was a, be a whole play, a
1: drama. And in DBT, uh, I think it was in DBT, but anyway, as a therapist, I would always encourage my clients to check the facts about something, you know, because feelings aren't facts, and you know, just because you, even if you have, even if this person really doesn't care for you, that doesn't mean that every interaction you have, you're you're doing something wrong. You you're you know, you should be put up on the cross. Yeah. It's just
0: ownership of self and of, I think it really, for me comes down to this core, core, deep, deep belief that I deserve to have my feelings. I deserve to have opinions about things. Um, I deserve to take, um, to take initiative on ideas. Mm -hmm. And even if they're shot down, or even if people think it's the stupidest idea in the world, I deserve to throw things out there and see, and you know, it's, it's a deep, deep core situation for me. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is. And, and I think I'm really learning. It's, There's a big part of it that's generational too. I mean, you know, when we talk to younger people, they seem a lot less burdened by. I mean, maybe sometimes going in the opposite direction. So that was the other thing I was just going to ask you about is now that you've been teaching at DePaul for for a minute, what are your? Well, now
0: I'm done. It's crazy. Well, I'm not done. Uh, I'm done. But Ryan, you're done with your part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It has been quite the journey. So they're just like us in some ways. It is amazing. So I had t- t- 13 individual one-on-ones with these students uh, oh. at 10 minutes each. So I offered one-on-ones because they really w- wanted that. And they- To do n- like feedback about their to do, like like to do like therapy. Let's just be honest because they're struggling. And it was my suggestion. It turned into not therapy, but it did turn into a lot of coaching. Let's just say, Mm -hmm. but they're struggling just like we were, even though there's, I would say, yeah, I would say a good 13 out of 24, right. Or 12 out of 24 half are struggling with the exact same thing. I don't have a rep Other people have reps. Now they get reps before school ends because they've been auditioning for um, agents um, on Zoom. They have like a class where they bring agents in. So half that sets up a dynamic where half the people now have reps and half don't. So the people that don't have acting reps obviously wanted to meet with me partially to say, how do I get a rep? And I'm like, listen – it takes time. You'll find your people. Let me, I, and I offer to help. What I say, send me your showcase link when you have it, your part, your monologue. I will send it to my peeps. But like, it's the same stuff we're dealing, we dealt with. It, yeah. I think they're not quite as quiet about it. Mm-hmm. Like they're pretty loud right. about right. it. Right. Where we they don't
1: have they don't have their quiet shame that they'd have to wait twenty five years to listen to somebody else on a podcast to go, oh, I shouldn't have been ashamed about that at all. Everybody was feeling the same thing.
0: Yeah, that they're loud, they're vocal about their issues, so that actually makes it somewhat easier to to work with. But it also is, I'm jealous, you know, that they're able to be so vocal. Um, that brings up a lot. I have a lot of feelings of like, man, the, but then at the root. They're just as scared as as we were. Well, a lot of them, and just as um, petrified to fail, and just as. I think it's just an age thing too. And it's also a competition thing. Like there's a lot of competition and within the school, right? Because you set it up, some have reps, some don't. And that sets up this whole dynamic of some of these kids or these young people are going on auditions. They're not like supposed to, but because it's a Zoom world, it's a different situation. Oh, So
1: that's still the rule that they're not supposed to, but everybody took advantage of this time, which of course they did. And I would have too, but
0: of course. And so anyway, it has been, it, it was a very fascinating ride. But what I did find was, you know, after my 13 one-on-ones, I was exhausted. Like I, oh, I had God. to lay down. It was like 13 yeah. mini therapy sessions. Whew. And I was like, and then follow up, you know, I, I'm sending certain people resources. So, but I, I do feel like it was, it didn't, it didn't feel, um, I don't feel resentful. I feel like they paid me really well. And this is mm-hmm. part of my deal. And also one of my, one of my, um, strong suits, one of my jams is connecting one-on-one and really listening and saying, Hey, like, you know, let's mm-hmm. like you said, like, let's look at the facts here. You know, you mm-hmm. haven't graduated yet. But you see, it doesn't matter because when you're that age, you feel like there is no time. And now you look as we get older, I'm like, oh,
1: my God, you had so much time. Girl, I remembered the other day sitting at my waitressing job talking to this guy who was, you know, he was a good 30 years older than me. I was 20. I think I'm I think it was like 24. Yeah. And being like. I'm old. I'm, I, at 24, I started thinking I'm almost 25. And then when you're 25, it's over. Like every, you have to have everything established by the time you're 25, because who, you know, becomes a person after that? Like, I really thought that way. And in part, it was because uh, not because I thought my parents were so emotionally mature, because I they'd be the first to say, or at least my mom would be the first to say they weren't, but they owned their first house when they were like they got married at 18 they owned their first house right away or i guess they rented but then really soon they owned their first house and that kind of set the bar like i felt i feel like a failure sort of before yeah. I even went to school, like there's no way I'm going to be yeah. doing that right, you know, right away. I've had so. the same. Like I, I think it's
0: generation. Yeah, I, my parents had their, they didn't have their shit together emotionally, you know, and but they definitely owned a house and they definitely had job jobs, and you know, so
1: yeah, that, that and also that I guess that speaks to the difference of what kind of what we culturally value we there was no room for valuing like personal growth and development at, at that time whereas no. that that's got that's gotten much more of a stakehold in terms of our societal values and and hopefully less and less about what you have and what you own and how much money you have so, yeah yeah uh, well that's interesting I so if you're listening to this and you're this is your final year of the theater school it gets better you know, it gets better and it's already good. Like there's this combination platter of the, the depths of despair that you may be feeling now that'll get better. Um, But also you are doing it. You are doing the career. The training is part of the career, right? Everything that comes after that. Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll build upon. I mean, that's what we've learned during this podcast. Like you build a, po- even if you leave in, in 10 years, you find yourself, you didn't do anything, thought what you thought you're going to be doing in this final year of college. You are using your those skills. You yes. Using what you learned there and you it's are applicable everywhere. This
0: is your life. You're living it. And, and this is the life and the, like the, the it's all part of the deal. I think there is. Today on the podcast, we talked to Sarah Charpar. Sarah is one of those actresses that multiple people that we've talked to um, have described as a powerhouse, and she really is. And she's on stage and on screen. She's just so connected. She has such a presence. And um, we talked to her, and it was a lovely conversation, and I just... She has this outlook about the pandemic and about life that's really inspiring. So I'm so glad we got to talk to Sarah Charpar on I Survive Theater School. Enjoy. You're so
2: fancy. I do I don't. <laughs>
0: okay, move your camera so I can see your beautiful face. I want to see the bottom of your beautiful face. There you. Okay. There we perfect. go. Perfect. Oh, you're so. You're you're so. Thanks, I know you're Sarah. not supposed to supposed to say this, but. Sarah, you you, 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 have you, are you eating? What's going on? I, it's so,
2: I'm, it's just so funny. AJ said the same thing. I mean, I, I, I don't, I have, I don't, I mean, yes, yes, I'm, yes.
0: Okay.
2: I'm. You look great. Thank just, you. Just checking. You know what I did though? I, I, um, I stopped drinking. It was weird. I mean, I haven't, I have not had any alcohol in like three months and oh. all of a sudden I'm like, I have a chin lock. I mean, it's just like, the, I think the puffy <laughs> gone, has gone away. Um, Yeah regrettably, I You're guess it's good for you. Thank you. You I, 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 I first of all, Gina, it's so nice to see your face and I still feel like Yay. such a crumb that I, I just think I had a pandemic stroke that last time, but, um, okay. Okay. I'm so happy to see you guys. This no. is so fun. I, Something terrible had
1: happened to you. Um, a friend
2: this, passed away. Oh, right. That, that's right. <laughs> yeah. One of the, one of the many I'll pandemic suicides. Back. Um. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah.
1: I'm so, so sorry.
2: sorry. Um, no. But this is super fun. I, but this is fun. What a jackass I am! <laughs> no, no, um, Jen. Before no, I, look. It is. Sorry, before yeah. I forget, you have to send me your address because I have something for you that I've had for over a year, and now I feel bad, Gina, because I don't have something for you. But I don't know what to get you. But I do. <laughs> we'll share it. Look, I do have something for you, Jen, that I've okay. had for a very long time, you. and you're going to know what it is when you see it. Oh my god, I can't wait!
0: I can't wait. Well, so welcome, exciting. Sarah, welcome to our
1: podcast. Hey, and congratulations—you survived theater I, school.
2: I did, allegedly. You, it,
1: you, in actual fact, you survived it, and you are. I, I, I probably shouldn't be starting this with such a gush, but you, you are such a fantastic actress. I mean, really, <laughs> everything you do now, everything you did in school, is. Fantastic. Oh. You are so like deeply connected to everything you do. It's very admirable. Um thanks. <laughs>
0: oh, I say that. And we hear it all the time. Like we've heard it from multiple people on the podcast about how much of a powerhouse or like in the, you know, in the Facebook chat situation, how much of a powerhouse. And I think that's the word that comes um, to mind when I think of you and your you and your acting is like powerhouse, but connected is also like Gina said, totally connected. And I've seen you, you know, in rooms running casting sessions and you're the same way. You're connected as a reader. You're connected as a casting associate so you're a connected lady you see me
2: weeping in corners on a regular basis (laughs) so um Uh,
1: did you want to be an actor since you were a young lady um
2: I think well my mother always says the the the, my transformative moment they took me to go I I grew up in upstate New York so they took me to the Shaw festival and I saw Cyrano de Bergerac and Cyrano was played by this I almost said Heath Ledger no his name is Heath Heath Lambert a very diminutive um, Canadian actor. I say that only because he played Cyrano, who's such a heroic, huge character. Um, and the woman we played Rosalind was so beautiful, but more importantly, her hat was fucking amazing. Like she had one of those pointed yes. princess hats with gossamer hanging down, which I don't mm-hmm. know if you, it's like that's the fabric that looks like fairy dust. And my mom is like, she said, Sarah, you just sat. At the edge of your seat and didn't breathe the entire time. And I still to this day, and I think I might, I think I might have been nine. I still to this day remember sitting in that theater just being like, <sighs> now, granted, I was mostly drawn to the fairy dust and the applause, but I, um, <laughs> I don't think I ever recovered from that moment, but I really, it it, it has taken me, um, I'll say I'm I'm 50 now. I think I've just started to admit that I'm going to be an actor. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think I ever really wanted to own that. I don't think I ever wanted to, although I just said I was 50, but everyone knows that. Um, uh, I don't think I wanted to own that. So I did a lot of things to kind of be like, I'm going to be an academic. I'm going to do, you know, um, so, really, what kind of academic did you think you might have? Oh, been? studying theater. I mean, I got a, I got a, oh, I got a, got a very you. academic degree in theater studies, and women's studies, and religious studies. So, really, I just like studying people and motivation. Mm-hmm. So, it's all the same thing, right? Like,
1: oh yeah, um, definitely all the same thing. Was it? It's a Paul. The, the no, other uh,
2: no. So, I went to University of Toronto for my undergrad. Okay. So, um, they're in there, you know, uh, they're a very rigorous academic school. Um, and it's a totally different than the American system. Like most of your classes are a year long, some are a half year. So it's a really like hardcore, like in some of the colleges they wear robes. It's very, <laughs> um, oh, not my oh. school, but, um, uh, so yeah, so I, 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 I went there and got a BA in theater and women's studies and, 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 um, religious studies, uh, and did have some performance. But that's why I went on to get my masters, um, where I ended up at DePaul, uh, because I wanted to learn how to act. I mean, I knew what I thought was really great theater, and I worked with incredible people that I still haven't had the gift of working with people of that caliber ever again. But I didn't know how the fuck to do anything. I just felt a lot. (laughs)
0: Yeah, did you did you act as a in high school? Did
2: you say? Oh golly, no. Well, so it's funny. So I went to my high school. I went to a super urban high school, and it was connected to the School of the Arts. But again, this fight in me, I was like, I'm not going to go to School of the Arts. I'm not going to be one of them. Um, And like, you know, I went to high school with Tay Diggs, whose name is Scott. Um, You know. Uh, people who ended up having massive careers. And I sort of sat on the periphery. I did, however, I was a part of an improvisational theater group called Awareness Theater, which is Hilarious when I think about it now. And we went around and did improvs for like doctors about how to deal with kids with like drug addiction or parental issues. And I think I was remembering the day I think we actually did a performance at Attica. And I'm not even shitting you like, I don't know who let us in these places, but we did these improvs about like, don't do the cocaine, but I want to do the cocaine. (laughs) And like, we got in a van and drove to schools. I mean, I had a little sweatshirt, I loved it so much. I loved it so much. <laughs> it's so great.
1: I love that. That's fantastic. So um, in upstate New York, uh, you went to the Shaw Festival. Did you get did your parents also take you to Broadway? Broadway? Um,
2: I believe so. The first Broadway show I saw was the touring company of Annie. So I saw that in Rochester. The first Broadway show I saw was the Tap Dance Kid, I think. Is oh, that, never heard that, that one. With, um, Alfonso Roberto the kid yes, right? He was the tap dance kid. Um, and you guys are, you're younger than me by a lot, but this was the time too. in my junior high, they had to ban taps because in the, in the, um, the musical, there were all these great tap numbers where they had like Converse sneakers with taps on the bottom. So everyone had to get fucking tapped. So as you can imagine, the halls of my high school were just as cacophonous, insane, um, Fantastic. So, yeah, they, those got banned along with the, the Michael Jackson belts. Cause everyone um, beat each other with, them. <laughs> it was a little aggressive in school. It was awesome. <laughs> the, spike, the- the spice like, belts. And the ones with the big name, like the one where you could get them personal, you know what I mean? We weren't allowed to wear those. As Anything can be weaponized with a creative mind.
1: <laughs> when I was in junior high, I got sent home for wearing um, what I thought was just a cute little accessory in my hair, a, a bandana. It wasn't red or blue, but I got sent home because there was a no band dance, uh, gang violence in Sacramento at the time that I was in junior high was like real, real, real high. So, uh, anyway. So, okay. So you, uh, did your MFA at DePaul and, and then when you left or when you graduated, were you debating staying in Chicago, moving to LA, moving to New York?
2: No. Um, I'm I'm realizing now in this pandemic time of reflection like how much and I've been thinking so much about this thinking about theater school and stuff um no I think I was lived in fear. I think I just lived in fear and waited for permission so I was yeah. waiting for something to tell me where I had to go um and I thought Chicago was a great place to get started and I um I, I had friends of mine right out of school who had started a company. Um, so we were working together. So that seemed like a great little launching pad. And then they, <laughs> they launched real careers. Um, and, um, was that same yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah. We were talking to Lee a little bit about Kirk. it. I was thinking about him this morning.
2: Um, Yeah. So they, um, so I, no, I didn't, I mean, I did, did I think that that call was going to come where I was desperately needed elsewhere? Absolutely. But, um, shockingly that hasn't arrived yet but there's time and
0: to be fair to be fair you have had calls come for different things i
2: have indeed and i have been very lucky yes. no i have been very lucky um
0: and talented and hard working i just want to put that out there that Thank the you. call com- comes and then we answer it and we try to show up the best we can and you've done
2: that i appreciate you've done that, that. It- and I and I feel Judd like
0: Appertel hasn't called yet. Judd Apatow has not called yet, but that's you
2: know whatever. No, and I it's funny. I I have been thinking a lot about you know when when you're ready for things and when you're not, and um, I don't know if the world is ready, but I kind of feel more ready now than I ever have been. So that's kind of exciting to not feel like your life is over
1: in the yes, midst of all this chaos and breaking
2: down. It's sort of interesting to find. I'm trying to. I'm really trying to silver lining this whole pandemic thing. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, Um, that's what. Yeah, yes, there is the the option. The alternatives are not good. (laughs) Silver lining is the way to go. Don't I know
2: it? Right? (laughs) I mean, don't we all? So, um, yeah. So, no, I, I mean, I wanted to go. And I did. I did spend some time in New York. Um, I went with a show. I, I, I did ended up doing um, Cuckoo's Nest at Steppenwolf. And then we did it in London and then we did it in New York. And then the world went to hell in handbasket and I saw the World Trade Center fall down. And I thought, well, I want to go back to Chicago. So anyway, blah, blah, blah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> 9-11, blah, blah. Jackass. Anyway, that happened. Back to me.
0: (laughs) Well, I have a question. I have a question going back to the, so when you, when you decided, did you decide, um, were were other schools in the running for you besides DePaul for your MFA? Oh my gosh.
2: Well, so I had already gone to another program for a year. I went to SUNY Binghamton um, in Binghamton, New York, which is where Rod Serling's from that gives you any indication. Um, And that program was actually rather astounding. It was run by this guy, Gene Lesser, God rest his soul, who I can unequivocally say was a bit of a sociopath. But he was one of the people who started Juilliard in the early days. So he was one of those Svengali kind of teachers that could get you to do work you never thought you had access to, but you were completely dependent on him to do it, which is why he had these weird little acolytes following him around and stuff. So I spent a year kind of being brainwashed by him and then the program crumbled. So then I had to find somewhere, um, the oh. program shut down and it was hell in a handbasket. It was just total chaos. Um, so I left that program and then went through the process of desperately auditioning. And, um, you know, when Tish and Juilliard and Brown and everyone else took a pat. but I will say this, this is an amazing story. So I went to New York for the Urdas or something to audition for DePaul and, um, at the time, I had just been recovering from um, an illness. All of us ladies are familiar with it. I had a horrible UTI. And so I took sulfa and didn't know I was allergic to sulfa. Um, and if you're allergic to sulfa... <laughs> It does something great. So I went into my audition. I shit you not. My face was swollen. You can't (gasps) out to hear. Like I looked, I looked like a homeless person in the middle of a Chicago winter. By that, I mean, my face was completely swollen and distended, dark purple, windburned and insane. My lips were deformed. Um, I mean, I looked horrified. And I remember standing like in this waiting pen room, like it was a dance studio and there are mirrors everywhere. And I was just kind of looking at myself going. Are you fucking shitting me? And I was like, okay, here we go. And I went in and did my pieces and was like, I remember Jim Oskelhoff was there. And I think John Jenkins and all these people. And I finished my pieces and they're like, do you have any questions? And I was kind of standing there, look at them going, seriously, we're not going to talk about this. <laughs> so I remember being like, just in case any of you are wondering, I don't normally look like this. I'm like, I'm not a supermodel, right. but this is not what we're <laughs> normally do- right. just to put that out there. Like, it was good. You were brave to do that. Oh, my God. I mean, I was making children cry in the streets. I mean, I really... But it was just so funny that they didn't even acknowledge... I mean, I get it. But we weren't even politically correct then. But the, no one said a fucking word. And I'm like, we're going to pretend I don't look like a descendant of the elephant man. Okay. But anyway, they took me. I think they felt badly for me.
1: No. <laughs> no they, saw, mean, they saw your talent. Do you remember what you auditioned through? with? Do you mm-hmm. remember what you auditioned?
2: I know. I think... I know I had this piece. I have no idea of what it's from, but it was about green peppers. Like, okay. about do I not like green peppers? And I went on this <laughs> dietary about, like, no, as a matter of fact, I hate it. Actually, what I really hate is that everybody else likes green peppers. They think they, they it was hiding in there. It was just fury about green which is very close to me because I tend to get furious about nonsense. Um, and I probably did something tragic, like from Troilus and Cressida. I think I did a Cassandra monologue from Troilus and Cressida. Talk about overblown. Like, I'm going I'm to play a deeply connected seer, you know what I mean? Like, um, but they fell for
1: it. I, I bet you knocked it out of the park. So you were talking about uh, your earlier experience in having a Svengali type figure. And I, I probably wouldn't go so far as to say the theater school had Svengali types, but we did have, and we talk about on this podcast a lot... You know, people with big personalities, people, uh, we we, you, we got um, labeled in a way by our section. In a way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm curious to know your thoughts about that, about the personalities among the faculty, how you related to it then, how you relate to it now, what your thoughts are.
2: Well, so it's interesting. Again, like I've been really deliberating about this a lot, you know, because I wanted to do a good podcast job. <laughs> um, yes. You get an A plus. I, know, I know there's a grade at the end. I was in a very different position. I, you know, I'd already gone to undergrad for four years, and I'd already done one year of of theater training. So I came into it at a different place, and it was interesting because um, temperamentally I was much more – I felt a greater kinship with the, the folks that were getting BFAs than my MFA class. I mean, I really just didn't – it's not that I didn't get along with them. I just didn't – I was in school with a lot. I'll never forget. I was auditioning. I wanted to go to um, – atc lmnop whatever the the harvard school is and I'll, yes. I'll never forget at their audition they were like if you want to be a teacher get the hell out of here we don't want actors who want to be teachers we want actors who want to act and i was like yes um and not in any way to be disparaging of the folks that were in my my class but i felt like a lot of people are like this is my backup i'm gonna be a teacher and i'm like who's gonna want you to teach if you don't actually do this right so wow. um uh, there was a little, just a little bit of a disconnect and I think I thought I knew everything and I was more than likely a snotbag. bag. So I, um, I didn't have the same kind of, oh my God, this is a whole new world for me. You know, I was 23 and worldly, you know, but I'd already had those aha moments. So, and I came out of a really, um, I don't want to say for me, but like a borderline abusive situation. I think, I mean, I think this teacher I had before was actually a predator. And I say this now because he's dead, although I should say it out loud when he was alive. I think he was a predator. So um, I came out of a very intense environment into something where I remember sitting with Jamal Stahoff all the time. And he'd be like, Sarah, I just feel like you want me to yell at you. And I was like, yes. I mean, I had a little PTSD. I was like, no one's mean enough. No one's hard enough. Um, mm. And I was constantly asking for more. And Jim, and it's funny because like everyone's like, Jim Alsteroff, crusty guy. And I'm like, I, I want more crust. I, um, and I think I was very much a victim of one of those people that convinced myself that if it didn't hurt. And I wasn't in excruciating pain all the time. I wasn't doing enough. Um, and if people didn't tell me how much I sucked, then they thought I couldn't be better. And so I really, I was stuck with that feeling for a very long time in DePaul, like, oh, I guess this is as good as I'm going to get. Cause no one seems to tell me what I need to fix. And again, no one can, no one can fix me other than me. <laughs> um, uh, but I think I very much, um, I think it goes into the whole permission thing that I was really looking for someone to tell me what was wrong and tell me I was going to be okay and tell me I was going to make it and that I was one of the chosen ones. So that I could go out and take mm. chances, which I think is the biggest problem with theater school in general. But that's a that's another yeah. question. <laughs>
0: It's interesting because we do have a lot of, uh, you're the first person that I really, it struck me as saying like, I needed more crust. I wanted more crust. I needed that for whatever reason. And it's, there's no judgment on it, but um, there are those people. And I think it's also the Juilliard method, that kind of method of, you know, uh, unless it hurts, you're not, you're not growing. And, you know, to be there's something about that that works. Like when I'm in pain, is when I make changes in my life. It's just that uh, you seem a little like you were a little more ready to make changes. Well, I was just trying to figure out what's happening in the world. Oh,
2: totally. Were- I was in a different place. I mean, I had I'd already left home. I'd lived, you know, in, in the University of Toronto. It's a totally different than the American system. Like you live on your own. You live in co-op housing. There's no. door. I mean, like I I had already sort of lived a pseudo. I mean, a wildly protected pseudo adult life for five years. So. I wasn't in the same place of like, holy crap, I get to smoke cigarettes in front of teachers. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like I, uh, so I just, um, but again, like I, I still very much, I mean, it's not a level of maturity that I'm, I'm super proud of because I still very much was desperately seeking for someone to say, Sarah, you can live the life you want to live. You can be who you want to be. And it's not about which role you get here because it's, you know, that world is also, as the three of us don't we we were never freaking ingenues. What the hell was I doing doing shows at theater school?
1: Right. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah. you you are when you talk about waiting for permission and and being scared um that ties into something that Boz and I talk about all the time and we talked about it earlier today. Uh, w- those of us who whose parents whose mothers were in the 60s generation of feminism um, really experienced horrible, horrible things. And so their impression that they taught to us and that became our impression is that it was all fixed and it was all better and feminism worked and patriarchy was over, which is obviously laughable (laughs) at this point.
2: (laughs) Just Uh, look at TV. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. But we, I feel envious of young women growing up now, even even though they can still be in a patriarchal context, they can still be oppressed by somebody. No longer is there just such a dearth of information about what, how it could be, or maybe even how it should be. Um, do you ever feel that envy, uh, wishing that you had been raised with, or maybe you were raised with a, a, a strong feminist bent? I don't know.
2: Uh, well, for sure, I, I was raised in a, a tremendous matriarchy. I mean, everyone jokes, my my late father, like my friends, like he just was a husk in a corner, which he wasn't. But like, we just, I come from, a, not surprisingly, generations of really dominant women. <laughs> um, but I also... Um, you know, my mother is the kind of woman, she was getting her master's degree, worked a full-time job and raised two children and did everything all at the same time. So my mom didn't have time to bitch about shit. I mean, so my parents were political and social idealists and they they actually met in Chicago as, as part of this Catholic youth, um, rebel organization. I mean, they were as far as Catholics can be, but they were really about social justice and change. And so I grew up around all of that. Um, but I also think at a certain point, like I, I, what's funny is I, I noticed this particularly last year at the beginning of the pandemic when things got cuckoo and um, so many issues, so many social issues came to light. I realized how old and out of touch I was. Do you know what I mean? Like I had, I had lived this whole period thinking, I am so enlightened. And then all of a sudden I was teaching these students and I was like, Lur! and I like literally vomiting on my own words and terrified of saying the wrong thing and not understanding um, social codes anymore. And thought, but I'm a good person. You know, went through all that white guilt and fear and doubt, and so um, yes, I, 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 well, envious of these women. I'm, I'm envious for the time that they have. I'll say that. I'm really envious of the time, and I try very much not to squander the time I have, worrying about what I did with the time I wasted. Um, But I, uh, you get your lessons when you get them, I guess. Uh, But I think it's a really complicated uh, place that people are in, but I'm very encouraged. You know, I was having this discussion recently with friends of mine talking about the movies we grew up with. And again, like I thought me and my girlfriend's like nine years old, going to see like nine to five, like we just thought we were little budding feminists. And then I go back and I look at 16 candles and I'm like, I was obsessed with rape movies. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, coming, having those awakening moments of realizing, shit, I'm brainwashed too. Um, or realizing right. that women cease to exist past 40. You know, when when once I was reading an interview with Reese Witherspoon recently, where she was like, time out. Oh, this is a picture of me on set playing Adam Sandler's mother. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or like that new show, Mank, that's out. Like Amanda Seyfried's playing What's Her Butt's Wife, and she's 78 years younger than him. And in real life, his wife was the same. You know, like just this horse shittery mm-hmm. where like, who's controlling the narrative of who women are? is just, especially as someone who's like, oh, wait, yeah. here I am. I'm 50. I'm ready to fucking go. Now I'm like, well, I have to write it because
1: mm-hmm.
2: no one, these men are terrified to know that we exist. <laughs> it's That's so right. true. That's uh, so true. Right.
0: That's absolutely true. And I, I just think, yeah. So that speaks of that thing of like, um, right. I, I don't know if you guys, you guys feel this, but it's like I came of age thinking I was a, fe- a feminist and that the, that we anything was possible. Then I was crushed, right, by the system. And now I'm coming of age again saying, and I am – I am, I wish I have this on this podcast all the time where I'm listening. I'm like, man, I wish I knew this when I was 18. And there's that thing where they say, you can't know what you know until you know it. But I hate that because I just, if I was armed with this, I listen to the stories of of people that come on the podcast that are like, you know, I told so-and-so to F off that I was going to play this part or that. And I'm like, I wish I had had that, but you're right. You get, you get the lessons when you get them. But it sounds like you were able – there just seems to be a sense then uh, about yourself that when you were at the theater school that you were able to step into your own, which is why you probably seemed so connected and were, was was a good actor. And the rest of us were not terrible actors, but I can tell you it wasn't that I was a terrible actor. It was that I had no clue what was going on. You had a clue of what was going on, which is why your work probably seemed so connected
2: because well, I... you knew – and maybe I just, I just had more of a chance to know who I was. And I think so much, I think so much of the, this is, and again, like I think about this a lot because I teach acting now and I teach at the university level a lot. And um, I think so much of that environment is about, A, tell me I can do this. As there's a whole body of people that are going to tell you, are you, just just between you and me, just I make it, am I going to make it? Like that, that feeling all the time of thinking someone can actually bestow your life upon you. Um, and then having someone say, who are you? Who who am I? Can you tell me who I am? And here I am going to school. And yes, I had a a pretty, I had a more um, secure sense of self because I was older, just by virtue of years. Um, And I I was fortunate to be exposed to a lot of things in a very um, unique way, I think. Um, But still, I went into theater school and I played old ladies my entire career. I played old women. I played grandmothers and old women and the fat fairy. And then I got out of school and I played hookers for 20 years. Do you know what I mean? Like we, there's no sense of what, so theater school doesn't really help you find a truce. And, and that the hilarious irony is like, you get to be your senior year and you got to do this showcase, which is going to make or break your whole life. And they're like, how are you going to market yourself? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I have no idea of who I am because I've been running around playing. I played women in theater school that I'm still too young to audition for. So it 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 fucks you up in terms of trying to figure out some way of being authentic. And you know, nowadays too, it's, it's funny, I'm sure Jen, you saw it too. You know, our our dear friend Nick Whitcomb wrote something recently about like theater and what does theater mean. And I'm thinking, you know, gone are the days where we're all sitting around, I mean, hopefully not forever, we have to reimagine them, but like I don't know how much me playing Cressida and Troilus and Cressida is going to illuminate today's world. I don't know how much this canon of things that we thought were really going to establish us as artists is going to move us forward any longer. And and Yeah. I I don't know.
0: I also feel like theater never really embraced me as a woman as a, 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 a who I am so I'm I'm I don't feel a loyalty to recreate the art form right. <laughs> but other people can I just never found like my spot yeah. there so when people are like how are we going to reimagine theater I'm like you know and I to yeah. guys. because I, I never I never saw theater that the- I liked <laughs> in
2: America to be honest I was spoiled I was trained by a bunch of Europeans in undergrad and went. I mean, we went on school trips to Italy and Germany and saw shit. And that's still to this day the theater. My my favorite theater is Russians and and Germans and stuff where it's like I don't have to speak the language. Like to me, that's theater. I don't know a word you're fucking saying and I'm riveted. And that's that's yeah. I've never seen oh. that really recreated here. Um, but
1: mm. all right, well, Gauntlet Throne America. Let's <laughs> <laughs> you better try to impress Sarah. Yeah. So uh, I, I I told Boz this earlier, but. Um, <laughs> I just happened yesterday to be looking through the plays in my bookshelf, and um, I was looking for a, a, to do something specific. And I pick, I picked up a play that I haven't read in a long time, called Dead Man's Cell Phone. And of course, I was delighted to see your name as having been one of the original other other woman. <laughs> Uh, characters. Can you tell us anything about your experience with that play?
2: Uh, yeah, that was great. That was super, super funny play. I mean, um, how do I talk about that? You know, it's weird. So, 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 Polly Noonan, um, who played Jean in the play, is sort of like Sarah Rule's muse. So, it's very interesting to be in a play with the writer's muse in there. And Polly's just one of these, she's just an otherworldly being. She's, she's a magnificent human being and creature, but like indescribable. She's just this ephemeral sort of creature. Um, uh, And it was, you know, it's always interesting to work on new plays. It was, um, I found it really challenging. It was sort of one of those. And I mean, Polly had done the show before. So I remember being like, you know, of course, I'm trying to make my role really important and grounded. And and sometimes, you know, uh, sometimes a pipe is just a pipe, you know what I'm saying? So I think there were times where I was beating my head against a wall trying to make, my to understand every uh every bit of minutiae I could mine out of it and you know I remember once Polly saying to me yeah you know this this part never worked in DC either You know what I mean? like that it's um oh wow that there were uh shortcomings but it was it was wonderful I mean it was wonderful you know I um I never you know it's like I I think I went through a period I was like oh, I'm gonna keep working and then you don't work for a long time you're like fuck I wish I appreciated those moments more I mean it was it was it was lovely it was terrifying i remember i of course i only really remember the moments i went up on my lines and didn't know what's happening and got dizzy on a rake stage and was terrified and oh oh lord um please anyone directing plays don't put anyone on a rake stage it's just cruel um
1: especially anyone with that has any kind of
2: anxiety anxiety vertigo forget it yeah um
1: and you were on a rake stage at the theater school in the one
2: with the turf. What was that called? Um, that was called yeah. Sisterly Feelings. Yeah, <laughs> which, yes. which for like six years I still found AstroTurf in my underwear. Yeah, that.
0: <laughs> you were brilliant. That was brilliantly. That was the brilliant. That was the audition, right? Where we had to be funny, wasn't that the one? I, where what was, was it? It was a British British play, play and it was super funny. Okay, and you were yes, on him. And,
2: and and I was thinking about Lee Kirk this morning because Lee Kirk was in it, Sean Gunn was in it, Pre Cabrera was in it, Alex, I mean, and 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 um, Bradley Walker, Bradley and, I Walker, mean, that that play, Kendra Thulin, that that was that play was that play was all. I think that was my favorite play for sure that I did, although full of calamitous moments of of <laughs> utter terror and <laughs> and destruction. Did you get dizzy on that rake stage too? No, I got well. I got scalded. I got. Sc- Two horrible things happened in the show. I have to. Okay. So the first one was there's, you know, it was a show at the end of like one scene, there's like a coin toss, and then that determines what the next scene's going to be. And we yes, had to run off stage. It was a rainstorm. We had to run back on stage wet. So we got dunked with water off stage and ran back on. And I can't remember his name. I'm such a crumb. He was a lovely stage manager. He had a long, kind of auburn hair. He was just adorable. Oh yes. Uh,
1: It'll come to me. Not Adam, no not Adam. not Adam. He had reddish
2: no. hair. You're with me. Okay. Pale, pale, I, I, I pale, can picture him but I lovely. can't. Right. So I remember um he had told the 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 kids, and I say kids cuz what other the, the 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 kids working crew, um make sure you put really um warm water in at the top of the act, put hot water in the bucket at the top of the act oh, so no. that when we dunk oh, them okay. in water they um aren't freezing. And
0: um, oh no!
2: Whoever uh, neglected to do this, so did it at the end of the act, and I ran off stage and literally <gasps> had a giant bucket of scalding water poured on top of me, and had to run <gasps> immediately back on stage and finish a scene. That was alarming. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's Jeff, horrible! Oh and how horrible, how long were you on stage? I was on
2: sometimes? stage then for another few minutes, and then we did the coin toss. And I just looked at Kendra. I'm like, "You're doing the next scene." I was like, "This is not," because I couldn't go on. I was like, hyperventilating. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> we had like burn cream in my hairline, and then I had like I had like a, a scene or to, to recover, and then I had to go back on. But that because it was like ah. the potential to do like eight different plays or whatever the way that play was set up. Um, but that wasn't the most terrifying moment. I will, was, I, the most terrifying thing that happened in that show. So there was a whole big picnic scene. where We were all, you remember this, all on that hill. And yes, cucumber sandwiches. Cucumber and the whole thing is about the extra guy. I think it was Bradley's character. An extra guy shows up. So we ha- we're mm-hmm. one short. We're one short of everything. And all of the dialogue mm-hmm. in that scene revolves around the one shortedness and God damn it, if I didn't open that picnic basket and it was fucking empty, there was like a napkin and two plates. And I'll never forget. And this is why I was thinking of Lee Kirk, because like I was really I was really tight with those guys at the time. And and I was running the picnic. So all the dialogue was motivated by me, motivated by props about the things oh and about the lack of things. And I remember opening it up and looking and being like, what? Did you- there's nothing in here. And this is at the Reskin. Like, there's people out there. And I turned to Sean Stanton, who was playing my boyfriend, Stafford. And I'm like, Stafford, could you go to the car and see if there's a you know, like, if there's a bag in the car? <laughs> and I just remember looking over and seeing Lee Kirk because he could tell he just went and put his hands behind his head and leaned back, like, I can't wait to see how Sarah gets out of this one. I'll never forget that fucker. It was so funny. I mean, it was like the most panicked. And we just had to basically make up the entire like, and then I remember seeing that same stage manager whip off his headset, go booking around trying to find, and then like you know, three minutes later, Sean comes walking on like, "Oh, is this what you're looking for?" I'm like, "Oh, it's super! Thank you so much!" <laughs> it was just, oh my god, what a nightmare! It was nightmare. truly like what? I think of that in moments where I'm like, "Oh god, what if?" And I'm like, "I already dealt with a big what if. That's fine." I was, tr- it was horrifying. Horrifying. <laughs>
1: that is horrifying. So, um, I. We have never talked in this podcast about this, but um, recently I was thinking about the actor's nightmare and what you d- experienced was was a nightmare, but what we're t- typically referring to when we say the actor's nightmare is the dream you have that you're supposed... And there's variations on it, but it's like you're supposed to go on stage and you don't know any of your lines or you for some reason you can't get all the way on stage. And I don't know why it took me so long because I would have this dream for the 25 years I never acted. Um, so it took me all this time to to link the way that that is just tied to your own life and your feeling of like being an imposter or your feeling that you're ill prepared. <laughs> and I'm just wondering if you guys still have dreams like that. All the time. No, you all don't. The, oh, you do. Okay.
2: Goddamn time.
0: I have the same dream. I have the dream where, where I, I finally got to the point in the dream where I say, fuck it in the dream. I'm just going to make this shit up because before I would try to cram, 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 and I'll be backstage and finding someone's script with the highlighted yes, and nobody yes. wants to share their script. And like I'm crying. And then finally about a month ago, I had one where I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to make this shit up. And it was so, Oh my liberating. God. I'm so inspired. And I'm sure I'll go back to the scary I'm, dream. Me too. But I was like, just i said fuck it i'm going to make it up i can't go through this anymore i can't go through this like i literally my oh. dream was like i took control cuz i had them all the time where yeah, i, I just had that i'm not
2: no word of a lie last week where i was like can i just borrow like and, and it was like the shakespeare style where they just had their lie and i was like maybe oh, that'll oh, I, I have that dream and i never have pants on or a shirt. i'm always missing either a shirt or <laughs> I am always like trying to take some kind of towel and oh fuck yes boz that is very
1: encouraging that you had that dream and i'm gonna try to like take that in such that if i find myself in the middle of that dream i might be able to give myself that same advice but it i wonder for you i bet it is really linked to this idea that you're having to write for yourself Mm. you know and you're doing it and which yeah which sarah mentioned you know you're saying you you now that you are There's a writer Yeah, too. now that you're ready to embrace your greatness. Um and you're maybe not going to find a bunch of roles ready made. You're going to
2: have to make it for yourself. Are you already working on uh, it? I am 8 pages in. I mean, <laughs> so it's funny I've been nice. I am um, like I said I'm trying to use my downtime, my this pandemic time um effectively. And so part of what I'm trying to do is not berate myself constantly. So You know, I got my final draft, I got my ideas, and I've had all sorts of interesting things pop up over the past few months. So have I done as much writing as I intended to? No. But is it something that I'm thinking about and actively trying to not stop myself from doing every day? Yes. And I think that that's the biggest hurdle I have to get over is like the part of me that thinks, well, I've got to get it right. From between here and my fingers, it's got to get right then instead of like, maybe I should just Mm -hmm. barf out some really bad shit and see what happens um, and not worry. Because I tend to stop at, well, what happens after that? Fuck it. I'm done. And shortbread (laughs) and and sourdough. (laughs) So I am trying to get over that hurdle, but I am quite excited and enthusiastic. And and I've had other interesting things. I've had great distractions pop up in the past little bit. So I'm sort of like, all right, so I'm going to shelf that and work on, and I'm just really working on, um, not panicking. I'm just realizing, in, in, you know, in terms of the dream, like I, to, um, not succumbing to panic and anxiety and fear of what's next, and trying to be a bit more present in this weird, timeless time. I'm trying to be just a little more mindful and slow.
0: Well, you—you you seem. I got to be honest. You seem. <laughs> you seem pretty. You know, knowing knowing you, you seem pretty mindful I'm, right <laughs> now. I mean, I'm, I'm I, a little
2: groovy. <laughs> I know. I, I, I you. thank you. I appreciate that because I really have, um, and I, it's also been hard to to realize. Like, wait, I, it's. I think part of it leads into that. Like, if it doesn't hurt, it's not work. Um, trying to surrender to like, Sarah, your life doesn't have mm-hmm. to be excruciating all the time, and you don't have to be miserable or suffering. You can just be, and that's a piece of the work. And so, I'm really trying as I sit here watching icicles melt outside my house. I'm really trying to appreciate and sit with that time who knows what will happen and again like oh what's gonna happen as soon as i have to "Mm." but i'm really trying to be a question about
0: cuckoo's nest because people are gonna ask how did that come how 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 was that i mean that was that was that was like a big huge deal for people that don't know um it was sarah was was in cuckoo's nest that went all over the world. it was super
2: pretty fun um although again not without its challenges i um i auditioned like every other woman between the ages of, you know, 20 and 32 for this little walk on part. Um, and uh, hilariously, it came down to me and this woman, Jennifer Engstrom, who's a marvelous actress. Um, and we at the time were roommates. We worked at the same restaurant. We had the same agent. And oh my God. Gary Sinise and Terry Kinney could not choose which one of us to cast. So they cast both of us. So we were double cast in a role and every other night one of us went on as Sandy and the other one <laughs> played the electroshock tech. I shit you not. Um, and that's how that run. It was bananas. It made, I mean, and to this day, people are like, what the fuck? It was really weird. And I don't really understand what transpired behind the scenes. At the end of the day, I think it was a wildly unfair thing to do to Jennifer and I, because for years it really really Mm -hmm. fucked with our friendship, especially when I ended up going to Broadway and she didn't. It was a really unfair, not that this is going to come back and bite me in the ass. It was a really unfair situation to put us in. Um, Horribly so. Um, Especially when they're like, so Sarah, when are you leaving Broadway? When's Jen coming? And I'm like, this is up to me. I mean, it was really, (laughs) it was a really weird thing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, but it was marvelous and wonderful. And I was very lucky to do a number of shows at Steppenwolf and um, work with just astoundingly generous people and not realize it at the time. I just, I don't think I, you know, so youth is wasted on the young. I didn't realize how great it was, um, but it was awesome. I mean, I i looked out in the audience one night and Paul Newman was looking at me and I was like, that's Paul Newman. I mean, it was just, it was banana cakes. It was, it was, it was, it was wonderful. And it was a, a really fun show. And um, I can't believe it was, you know, 20 years ago that it closed um, but it was a it was a good time. It was a good time. Yeah, I got I got who played who played Nurse Ratchet? Ah, uh, Amy Morton.
1: Oh, nice. Amy Morton. Nice.
2: Um. Yeah, we had a we had a.
0: Okay, I just love that. I love the stories about people I know going to. Broadway. Oh, it was I just think super it's so fun, fascinating. And I got paid to
2: make out with Gary. Like it was and you're right, like you know. <laughs>
1: you yeah and you you know we we when by the time this is all over you may be part of a bygone era of broadway i mean i was just having this discussion with a bunch of theater people last night is it going to come back is it going to be i mean the the whole model the whole financial model of it, it was so unsustainable um with packed houses and you know charging four hundred dollars a ticket i i can't imagine trying to make this work with any type of like social distancing protocols.
2: yeah and who the hell are they going to put in those seats to fill i mean like who's going to be on broadway do you know what i mean like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, i just mm-hmm. gone are the actors I, not to be a yeah. be a dick but you know no no it's, it's totally really, true uh, i the really interesting
1: so speaking of plays um probably my most memorable theater school watching experience was raised in captivity. (gasps) Oh oh my (sighs) God. And, and, uh, it made me, it made me a Nikki Silver fan. Yes. I mean, that play is so funny. And I had the experience of watching it. That I, I I was laughing so hard and so loud, and people around me were laughing too. But I felt like, no, no, you don't. Under- this is the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. You're not in my life. <laughs> yeah? John Gunn trying to say, "I'm working with the baby. I'm, you know, I'm teaching the baby. It's the baby's about to walk." Oh, such a great play. Did, it was Nick directed that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Do you remember that experience? I wasn't in it. What? I
2: wasn't in it. What? No, I was pissing myself <laughs> laughing in the audience. I wasn't in it.
1: Sarah, Schleppard, this whole time I've been telling myself you were in my favorite <laughs> play at the theater school. Maybe I'm combining two plays. Did you do another Nikki? You play know.
2: that you were in. Were you? I mean, I could be hallucinating. No, I because Susan Bennett, PJ Powers, um was Juliet in that? Like, I
1: wait, was there someone in Yeah, Wasn't tutu? that Susan Bennett? Wait, in a tutu.
2: Mm. And about being passed around like a like a like a candy dish of nuts or something like there's I remember that that awesome scene.
0: Maybe we're thinking of a different name of a, they probably maybe they
1: did two
2: Batman Men in Skirts? I, did, did you did, do any Nikki, Nikki Silver plays play? at theater school? No, I was obsessed with Nikki Silver too because I love language play. Like I just I This is um, the problem no, with no, I memory. Was, this is, I, is the was, problem <laughs> <laughs> I was in fact furious that I wasn't in that show because I was like, who better to do Nikki Silver than yeah? Me? I mean I was like I, I gruntled. I think I was doing some Irish play at the time about, about my dead son Dicklin. <laughs> oh,
1: that's so funny. I can't believe I've fused those two disparate things well, into can, one.
2: Listen, I'm flattered that you thought it was me because that play was fucking awesome. And, but I, I, I can see myself in that classroom watching it and just being gobsmacked yeah. and it was like you know just like two little flats and like a, a light bulb on the floor and, you know, maybe
1: uh, we were sitting next to each other and i remember it because... okay so i'll I'll just share with everybody that um we are doing a, a part two with sarah share a part because mm. we, because my audio we unfortunately sucked. lost yeah, we so so I went back and I just listened to the part where you can only hear you and I talking to, to remind us what we were talking about, but I'm just being transparent about it. The audience, I mean, the audio quality will never sound the same. So if you're listening to this, it, well, yes, it was recorded in two separate days, but I'm going to do my best to bring us back to the point in the conversation that we were at when we were so rudely interrupted by Squadcast. So- um, we were we were talking about the shows you did, and you were talking about a show that you did with Joe Slowick, um, and then uh, a, sh- a story that I loved talking about the show you did where you had to be ca- you were wearing a beautiful
2: oh. gown I
1: think, and you had to be carried Helen of Troy. And- Helen of Troy. Yeah, tell us that story.
2: Well, not that I just remember being devastated because David Dustmelshin had to carry me. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, <gasps> he's going to know how fat I am. I mean, you know, I just, i right, right. <laughs> that like this, I, I mean, I had such a crush on him. Um, hi, David. Uh, yes, as as did, did everyone. As did everyone. No, yeah, yeah, me.
1: And it, it precluded you from what we were talking about is how it precluded you and things like that are, can so easily preclude us from focusing on the thing that would actually make the memory good and the experience enjoyable. <laughs> like I'm on stage at a beautiful venerated Chicago theater and I am getting to play this amazing part and I'm getting to do something that I love. Instead, we're we're focused on the thing that, you know. You're worrying about what you we, ate last night. I mean, it's yeah, so that's- true.
2: That's not really being in the moment. That's not being in the essential moment there. That's not the kernel one wants to cling to <laughs> for sure.
1: Definitely not. If you were in that position today, how do you think you'd be I
2: mean, with I think, I, I, regrettably I'm a bit in that position every day. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm very, I, it's funny. I um, recently in this universe, uh Oh, I apologize. There's some kind of siren happening. Um, Recently in in, in this universe of um, Zoom auditions has been a really eye-opening and and a horrifying experience, but illuminating about certain things. And that is that, oh, I am now back at a place where I have to relearn how to not focus on myself in an audition, right? So because um, all of a sudden you can see yourself in the corner. You can see that little piece and try not to be – so I – I thought mistakenly, um, as of late, I was in this groovy headspace and I was ready to go. And it's all about the work. And then the second I could, see, I was like, "Oh, God damn it!" There you are, and right in front of you are you and all of your insecurities. Um, mm. And I was uh, both reassured and disappointed by the fact that I still have the same, the same struggle as a performer to get out of my own way and to get out of my head and stop looking at myself mm-hmm. um, in the moment. And I just had the same experience. I had to watch myself. I was on, I saw myself on TV last week and everyone's gathered around the TV and it's like, Ooh, you're on that show and how exciting. And all I saw were chins, Mm -hmm. all I saw Mm -hmm. were, Mm -hmm. and I remember the day of thinking, you look great. You feel great. You should be confident. Now focus on your work. And then I get to watch my work and all I'm, all I'm seeing are, wow, that's a really bad sweater. And boy, I, you know, so it's hard. It's hard Mm. to not, um, yeah, I think I focus on it. I try to actively focus on it less. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like trying to, it's like trying to play a negative intention. I will not not do anything, but. um,
1: Right, right, right. Well, probably the biggest difference though is that you know that you're doing that now and you know that it robs you of something that's joyful and you're trying, and you, you know, I think having the desire to get to the place where you can like just live your life in appreciation for it instead of monitoring your life for how other people are appreciating you
2: yes and to appreciate the i mean so like in a way back to that show my my goal doing when i shot that show was like sarah you're going to enjoy this experience you're not going to go home after three days of shooting going i don't know what happened because i wasn't there so do i Mm -hmm. feel like i was able to do that at least 60% of the time. Yes. Which is a big win. Right. Like I was like, I was able to have fun being on set and working and focusing on the work rather than worrying about, are they going to fire me? Am I going to get kicked off? And I didn't lose 40 pounds last week. So right. that was good. That was good <laughs> to be able to, what was the show? Um, the, the, uh, the Chicago fire. <laughs> um,
1: nice. Okay. It's about the it's about the no, fire yes. oh, It is
2: it is the it is the fire show of America. Yes, it, yes, it was really fun. It was actually a, a super good time, and it was super rewarding because I got to work with a student who I it was his, it was his first job on camera. Oh. We had our scene together. Oh. I worked with a, a female director that I had worked with before, and it was written by a woman and a woman <gasps> of color. So it was like the most amazing. Like I was so
1: imagine if 19 year old you had seen oh that God. you'd have been like whoa what happens in 20, i was 2021? so excited and happy
2: and while chicago fire might not be the pinnacle of the acting i'd like to do it was i'm super proud that i was a part of that episode that was really but, great
0: and it also sounds like you know I, I it sounds like you made progress in terms of how you're going to be with yourself while you're on set or while you're doing and that's for me I, I'm like going for progress, like pro, yes. and and so it's hearing that is very encouraging to me because it means that we can make progress. We may not, and and you know I've heard people talk, like Bill Hader from Saturday Night Live, talking about mm-hmm. his anxiety and talking about how you may not make friends with your anxiety but at least you know how to exist with it in the same room without trying to actively strangle it all the time you know a thousand
2: percent Mm -hmm. a thousand percent I mean I was just talking about this very thing in therapy the other day about like my anxiety hasn't gone away but I've made space for it where it doesn't overwhelm me it doesn't consume the moment it's like oh we're gonna be in the room together okay could you please stay over there for five minutes and I Mm -hmm. um it is a very different experience. I, and I, I, you know, it, it, back to that like Zoom audition thing, I had a Zoom call back <clears throat> the other day, which was, of course, a very heightened, stressful, blah, blah, blah thing. And the director was intimidating, to say the least, and difficult to understand. And it was like that exercise of in real time, looking at yourself in this camera, watching them, trying to separate myself from my anxiety um, and and participate in the moment without immediately leaping to... Um, allowing myself to be triggered by, by, by situations in a way that normally my anxiety would just take over. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, yeah, is a very, you. and I think so much of it is about, I mean, you go back to like what you learned, but like breathing and taking a minute to be, I'm going to, you know, that, that actor impulse of like, they give you a note and you go, yep, yep, yep. Got it. Got it. Got it. Instead of being like, hold on, mm-hmm. I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to think, and then mm-hmm. I'm going to say yes. You know, like, Let's forego the impulse to say yes immediately. Let's take a second. Wow. And I, So I, I think mm-hmm. um, back to the point of learning. Yeah. Like my progress is actually, I think, taking time to actually let myself get to the moment. It's like so easy when I'm directing people to say like, don't rush the moment. Don't rush the moment. Arrive there. I'm trying to just arrive. I'm trying to give my, time, my myself time to arrive a little more, Wow. Um, which is hard.
1: Did you say it was a student, like a DePaul student? No, it was a
2: student. um, He was from U of I, U of I Chicago. And I taught there um, for a number of years. I taught like their on camera, their senior year, like prepping them for their showcase on camera class. So I had taught him a number of years ago and it was so, Oh, he was so lovely and I was so thrilled for him. And he talked about his audition with me and he's like, I taped it with this other guy, Sam, who was in class. And he's like, I kept saying, Sam, Sarah would say, you know, find the texture in it, make it different. Like, so. He was like, you got me this job. He's like, you helped me with this oh. job. I, it was so thrilling. And then I went to the director. I'm like, it's Hayden's first time on camera. Like, it was so thrilling. It was so fun. And I, because I was so focused on taking care of him, I wasn't worried about myself. Like it was really like the universe conspired to make sure I got out of my own way.
0: Whenever I'm on a, (laughs) whenever I'm on a plane and I hate to fly and I'm with someone that's more scared than I am next to me, I become the world's greatest flyer. I'm like, we've got this. We We got this. this." Totally.
2: Totally.
1: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love that. So the other thing that we were talking about, um, Was the showcase, (laughs) and you had started off by saying, and I think this is a good this is a good way of saying it. No, you said because we've had a lot of we've we've talked a lot about our audition teacher, our on camera teacher, and we usually bleep her name. um, And you, but you had said it in just the loveliest way, which is like I just wasn't for her. You know, I just wasn't her cup of tea, whatever. Um, so that being said, you did have some interest when you went to LA in the showcases. So tell us about it. Uh, Well,
2: I I mean, it's funny. And I think I might've talked about this before. I'm currently doing the same thing where I'm T I am I am teaching, I'm organizing and teaching another school's uh, final class for their showcase. So I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of kids and, and it's not that I'm playing favorites, but there are a number of them where I'm like, I get it. I know you've been playing 50 your whole life mm. and you're 21. So I, I feel very close to that moment of what am I going to do to show who I am? I'm like, I have no fucking idea of who I am. I've been everyone's grandmother my entire career. Mm. Little did I know for the next 20 years, I'd just play whores because that's what, <laughs> you know, that's what 25 year old women do, um, regrettably. But so there was that struggle. Right. Like preparing for that, that exit moment. And then we went to the showcase and we all got a plane and went to LA and bought, you know, the right color blue shirt to make your eyes pop and thought you were going to change your life. And, and I did have, I was fortunate. I did have some interest, but I always felt like anytime I was in any of those rooms, whether it was meeting with agents here in Chicago or, um, doing the showcases in LA, it was this feeling of people looking at you like, huh, what am I going to do with you exactly? You know what I mean. So I remember, um, being on the plane flying back to Chicago, just bawling my eyes out, thinking this is never going to happen. Wow, because it was, and I had that reaction. I had that reaction. Oh. <laughs> I'm nice. jinxed, you guys. Your- no. does not want me. Well, what i what I wanted to
0: say before, before we so rudely, <laughs> what what I wanted to say is that it is, um, Things are stacked against us when we walk in that room. And I think it takes a very um, special human or a a human that is not 22 to say, I am what you want, even though you don't, maybe don't know that you want it. I'm going to, it's a lot of work to do that. So it's a lot of work to internally do that work to say, no, no, I'm going to walk into a a room that may be kind of hostile, but I'm going to turn it around and make a, you know, it's hard to do that.
2: you know? Yes, absolutely. It, 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 and I always go back to like, why is it that so many models make good TV and film actors? And I don't think it's because they're dumb. And I don't think it's because they're just pretty. I think because they're so used to being like, this is what I look like. Take it or leave it. Whereas I spent so many years going, this is what I look like. I'm sorry. This is what I look like. But I'm really good on the inside. And it's like. Oh. Uh, um, you guys,
1: what if, what if like anything. one major component of theater school could have been simply this like very intense work on radical self-acceptance and like you know like even to the exclusion of yoga let's say even though I loved doing yoga and I think yoga is great but like the idea being if what if we paid we joke about it now I'm joking about it in a way but like what if we actually paid attention since we know that this is what happens and we're not treading any new territory here, people. In any of these episodes, we, we are talking about things that have been talked about a million times. That probably people have talked about a million times, but they still need to be talked about because it's still not—it's still not quite synced up in the right way. What if there was a radical shift and people could anticipate that this is a problem? You—you—you—you you, you, you said this last time, Sarah. That's one of the parts that we couldn't it got cut off is that we choose this profession that will definitely not fill up the God sized hole inside of us, but yet almost to a person who goes into this is somebody who a, has a God sized hole. <laughs> but also like who is so sort of uniquely Sensitive is not the right word, but it's the only word I can come up with. Like it, but so so uniquely primed to be destroyed emotionally by something that's going to happen to them in this business. We know this is not an unknown thing. Why can't they actively address that in theater training?
2: Well, I think because I mean, to be perfectly honest, I think a lot of it is they've got to keep themselves in business, right? We, you have to believe there is a person in that building who's going to tell you you're going to make it in order to shuck out 20 grand a year. I mean, I really, part of me really believes this kind of cynically, but I believe like you, I think every one of us to a certain degree tried to find that teacher that made you feel like you were going to make it. To find that teacher that made you feel like you were enough that you, that, oh wait, it's, and it's this weird kind of, Corner of the room. Am I special? I just need one person to tell me I'm special. Do you know what I mean? And so I think that um it, it is a business, and it is. And and who the hell are these people to tell us that we're enough? And at the end of the day, great, one person is going to tell you're enough for that job, and then that job is done. And then what? So yes, I agree with what you're saying that you need to have. There should be a core of radical self-acceptance because no job is going to sustain you. No, no no. job is going to take you through, through enough, or God forbid, you know, you're one of the, and I've got several friends that have had amazing careers and had great jobs and they're miserable because they got stuck playing a shit part their whole life that wasn't fulfilling for them. You know, so it can't be about the job. It's got to be about what you want to do in the work. And it is such a weird, um, unlike, And I would say, unlike any other profession, I'm not going to make that grandiose of a statement. I'm just too stoned to come up with a better word. But um, you're so vulnerable in this craft because everyone has to give you permission to do it, right? Mm. So you are always asking for permission. But at the same time, you're asked to believe in yourself enough to keep going without needing that approval. You know what I mean? It's like this yeah. instant, like, Jesus Christ. When, and Which is why, you know, which is why we're so lucky that we have these incredible people now that are creating shows that are unlike anything else. Um, you know, like Mikhail Cole or, oh God, who's that crazy Australian guy that I love? I can't think of it now. Or or your Hannah Gadsby's, your people where it's like, no one was going to give them a platform before until they gave themselves their own platform. And now we see these crazy, beautiful, authentic stories, which... No one could grant permission to that other than them, right? Because they're singular voices; they're just incredible singular voices. Um, and so, I think there's being there's space being made. But when I think of the the world that that we came up in, where it is like, who am I going to play in Midsummer Night's Dream? And which Chekhov play am I going to be in? And which, you know, for to make it really re- reductive, but like which white man's story do I fit into? To mm. To show that I'm good enough, because if I'm not an ingenue and I'm not someone's mother, then I don't have any place in this world. And I think that's how a lot of people end up feeling coming out of theater school or being in theater school schools. Like, I have no place in this world because of these 20 plays that we're doing in the four years that I'm here. I don't get to play. a. I don't get a juicy role. Do you know right. what I'm saying? It's right. like, it just becomes... And that's one thing I didn't realize. It's funny because we were talking a lot about how the past year has really influenced a lot of our thinking. It's like that's one thing that I've really kind of had an eye-opening experience with, like how small my education was in terms of the stories that you think, yeah. well, these are the stories we get to tell, so I better fit into them. You know, I think um, it's been a great uh, kind of um, envelope opening or an explosion for us to think more, um, not even inclusively, but just uh I mean, not just inclusively, but like in this kind of like, we can tell any fucking stories we want. Yeah. You know, and we didn't have that before, I don't think.
1: It never ceases to amaze me that whenever my mind is opened to a new reality that I didn't know existed previously because of my small education and my small, my, you know, specific life experiences, it never ceases to amaze me. Oh, still, I mean, and now I can say, in my future, I'm going to have multiple more moments of, oh, there's this thing I didn't understand about the world and, and the variety of stories. And then there's, you know, it's like the universe, the multiverse is infinite. And so is the, um, so is the range of human experience. Yes,
0: yes. And I, I, and I agree that going back to, um, I, I think, you know, teaching radical self-acceptance is is key and it, it probably wouldn't do enough but it would at least start a conversation and who knows maybe they're starting it i don't know but i definitely agree that with that what i'm seeing in my depaul students now is that that is so needed in 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 an authentic way to to and yet at 22 radically accepting yourself is excruciatingly hard to do
2: well and it's also i mean i don't know everyone's not the same right but like did i know who i was in right. big caps when i was 22 i don't know i mean do i feel now at whatever do I feel now? <laughs> do i feel now at 50 like i'm any different than i was at 15 no
1: God, this is hilarious. Talking about this,
2: like I'm the same person. I'm just accepted it, right? So, um, mm. I think. Yeah. I think it is a weird time. I think it is. It is, and people develop and change and settle into themselves at very, very, very different times. And people have radically different experiences in terms of when they're allowed to accept themselves and let and let the, let themselves into the room. Um, but I do think teaching. Teaching that you're enough is really important in so much of school in general, theater school, any school is, uh, you know, um, if you go to med school, you take a test and know that you're enough. And in theater school, you don't really have that test, but you're still right. trying to find out that you're enough. So it is a very weird, subjective world where you're still trying to prove yourself. Um, and it is hard to tell people to prove themselves while at the same time, just be you. Ah. you know. It's really hard. And and you're just figuring out what you is, right? I mean, sorry about that.
0: Hey. I I was like, do I have a dog?
1: I I forgot I had a dog. Um, Lester
2: is expressing himself, his authentic (laughs) self. Lester. Um, Lester
1: already believes in himself. He he, (laughs) He has never
2: lacked... Never, never lacked in that department. He knows he's is, he is seven pounds of me. He is mighty. Oh, oh. Yeah. oh he's a <laughs> little asshole. Um, so you know what I mean. I just it's it's just very hard. I think it's a, but yeah, you've got to be willing. You know that's that's the hard thing. It's the willingness. It, you you are. It is a demanded of you to bring your your entire self to the job every single day in a way that other jobs don't ask you to. I, right? I agree. And to ask someone to learn and train at this and do that and figure out what your pelvic clock is and realize that you've been breathing wrong your entire life and find out what I am at Pentameter is and be your authentic self at nineteen is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 no um, surprise that you're making a podcast now about that time because it's a really ugly, gross pot stirring. Triggering maelstrom of feelings.
0: Oh, that was great. That's a great tagline <laughs> for be our podcast. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so, Sarah, where um, where can people find you besides on Chicago Fire? Are you on social media?
2: I'm on the social medias. Um, oh, Tate found me, sweet Tate. Uh, oh. Um, an homage to mine but. I am um, at full lunch. Because my mother has a boston accent and it's a big joke in our family f-u-h-l-u-n-c-h <laughs> what are you gonna have for lunch uh, <laughs> um, on the social medias um Great. on the cool. chicago fire uh, fingers crossed
1: please. if you liked what you heard today please rate review and subscribe seriously please do those things because it really helps I Survive Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. podcast. Jen Bosworth-Ramirez and Gina Felici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Felici. For more information about us, you can find us on social media or through our website at undeniablewriters.com. Thanks.